Alleluia. Christ is risen. So this hymn of the day gives us the words to tell the resurrection story, right? If you think about a life of despair versus a life of hope, what, I mean, the disciples locked in that room, they were scared that maybe something similar to what had happened to Jesus was going to happen to them. And they had heard this crazy story that Jesus, his body isn't there. And then all of a sudden Jesus shows up. And what does he say? Ah, surprise. No. Look at, you should see the look on your faces. No. He says, peace. He says, peace. Thomas refused to believe because um, I, I don't, I mean, sometimes, right, we call this guy what, Thomas? Doubting Thomas. And I think that's unfair to him. Because Thomas, according to the tradition, would go on to take the gospel to India, where he was martyred for the sake of the gospel. Thomas just wasn't there. It's not like he had less faith than the, than the rest of the guys and whoever else. Maybe some of the women were in that room, too. Um, they just all had the advantage of seeing what he had not seen. Maybe they had, Jesus, it says, he shows up and he shows them his hands and he shows them his side. And Thomas says, unless I see the marks and put my hands in his side and all that, I won't believe. Basically, he said, unless I experience what you experienced, I will never believe. And very quickly, the story moves to Jesus comes to the same place a week later. And they're meeting again, and Jesus shows up. Ah! No, he says, peace be to you. And then he walks right over to Thomas, and he says, Thomas, come here. Plunge your hand in there, buddy. You wanted to see? You wanted to touch? Don't disbelieve, but believe. Thomas says, my Lord and my God. We don't know if Thomas actually did what he said he was going to do in order to believe. Jesus says, blessed are those who will believe without seeing. It's a picture of what the rest of church history was going to be. There was a chosen, small, relatively small group of people that the resurrected Lord appeared to. The rest of us have to take it sight unseen. Jesus says, blessed are they. The resurrected one gives peace and hope in the place of anxiety and despair. Think about this. The work is done. There's a hymn. The strife is over. The battle is done. It's finished, he said from the cross. All of the pain is gone. The weight of sin is gone. For Jesus and for you. The work that he did means something for us. So, on a... Mm, I got to find a different word. I feel like I shouldn't say that one from the pulpit. On a day like today, with the weather the way it is, it was so nice. It was so sunny. Everybody was happy. <laughs> when, I, when, I went, when I went into town last week to go vote, I was talking with one of you, and, and this person remarked, you know, it's amazing. The weather's like this, and all of a sudden, everybody's mood is just, all right, everybody's happy. Nobody's, nobody's cranky or grumpy anymore. And then you wake up today, and you're... <laughs> Through the parking lot and you're, you pull into your parking spot and you make a little lake of melted snow and slush that you got to try to 
you know, avoid when you, when you get out of the vehicle. I don't know. It doesn't feel like, I don't know. It doesn't feel like spring anymore. Like what happened? We heard about a little road construction and that was our summer. And now we're back to winter. (laughs) Minnesota in a nutshell right there. But there is joy. All of this stuff aside, there is joy in the Easter season because the task is finished. The weight of sin has been lifted off of you. You don't have to carry around guilt and shame anymore. The death is not the end, or the the grave is not the end. Death does not have the final word. The devil is a very angry, very intimidating dog on a chain. And the Lord Jesus is the one in control. Telling this resurrection story is what Christians do. This is not an unusual thing for us to sing the resurrection story. Peter is preaching in Acts 5. He says, you all crucified Jesus. He made a point to say, you crucified him. But God raised him from the dead on the third day. And they were beaten and they were warned not to speak anymore about Jesus. And they left rejoicing that they had been counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. Telling the resurrection story and finding joy in the risen Lord, even when there is rejection, even when the authorities punish you for that belief, for sharing that belief, and they warn you, you better cut this out. This is what Christians do. We tell the story and we count it joy when we face trials that grieve us. And that's what Peter talks about in the letter of 1 Peter. Peter is all over the place. He's in our gospel lesson. He's preaching in Acts. And he wrote my sermon text, 1 Peter chapter 1, 3 through 9. Later on in his life, he wrote that the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus secure these things for us. The hope of your eternal inheritance that's beyond change and decay. It's not going to dry rot while it's waiting for you. You're not going to have to go replace any seals or anything. You don't have to worry about putting mothballs where your eternal inheritance is. It will never fade or be defiled or shrink or expire. Jesus' death and resurrection means that glories beyond your comprehension are yours today. And every day that goes by brings us closer to enjoying them and glorifying God for it. The crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus also secures the joy that lets us weather the grievous trials of this life without giving up hope, without giving into despair. And the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus ensures this, that our faith is legitimate even though it feels weak sometimes, even though it doesn't feel like we have a lot of love in our hearts for Jesus sometimes. We've never seen him Oh, how much stronger would our faith be if we could see him? How much more would we love him if we could, if we could just touch him, hear, what, what does his voice sound like? What color are his eyes? Does he actually have that like long conditioned hair or was his hair shorter? You know, like the, whatever, the, the questions that are serious and the questions that are maybe a little more like, oh, I don't know. What is, like, what does he look like? It'd be easier to believe in him, wouldn't it? If we could see him and touch him and hear the sound of his voice. 
the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus strengthens, establishes, perfects our faith. It has nothing to do with how hard we believe in it. That's also what it means to say the work is done. That's, what, that's why we say hallelujah when we say Christ has risen. Because it's a relief from having to do it ourselves, from having to have a strong faith ourselves. And for shorthand, we say Jesus died and rose again for you. Sometimes that can become kind of a formula, right? We have these formulas in the church and they're not bad in themselves. They're useful, pithy ways of saying something very true without having to say all thousand or 2000 words about why it's true and how exactly it's true. We just say Jesus died and rose again for you. This text from first Peter, where, where is it? Here it is, is fitting for the second Sunday of Easter because it applies the resurrection to our lives. So Jesus is risen. Woo! Great. What's that got to do with me on April 16th, 2023? What does the resurrection of Jesus mean for us? Well, this text gives us a glimpse of eternity's perspective on the things that grieve us now. Because Jesus was resurrected, we have a reason to hope that he will not let us down on the last day. Think about all the promises that Jesus made, all the promises in scripture. If Jesus had not been raised from the dead, um, we still might want to believe that those things were true. But if he said he was going to rise from the dead and he didn't, there's a whole chapter in 1 Corinthians, a long chapter devoted to that. About how if, if there is no resurrection of Jesus, then there's no resurrection for any of us. And we are basically wasting our time in that case as Christians. That's not true. Jesus is resurrected. So this is not a waste. And what that means for us in our day-to-day lives is that the trials that you're facing right now with your job or with your marriage, with parenting, with health, something going on with your house or with your machinery or whatever it might be, these trials don't destroy us. They don't drop us into the pit of despair with no way out. Instead, in God's power, and sometimes his power feels distant in the midst of this, but the promise is that God's power makes our trials serve to ultimately refine our faith so that we come out stronger, wiser, more humble, more useful to our neighbors whom we're supposed to love and serve in this life. Our trials make us more dependent on God. To those in despair with no hope beyond what they're able to create for themselves, with no promise of a God who raises the dead, who has broken the power of sin and the devil, trials and griefs only erode the hope of such a person. If it all depends on me and I keep running into roadblocks, how much more do I have left in the tank before I give up? But to you who are born to a living hope through the death and resurrection of Jesus... The trials and griefs you face are opportunities that God uses, and it's not always comfortable for you. And it's almost never been comfortable for me either. I don't mean to depict this as, you know, woo, this is always great. A lot of times this is really hard. 
but it's not meaningless. It means more than we know now. What it fully means will probably only be revealed to us on the last day. Furthermore, we don't have to see Jesus in order to believe in him or to love him. Does it feel ever, you don't have to answer this question. You can nod if you want. You know, blink once for yes, blink two for yes. You know, does it feel like you love your family more than you love the Lord Jesus? In terms of the feeling of love, not just the, I say that I, right? We all say we love God above all. But day to day, I think if I'm right, I'll, I'll, I'll do some self-disclosure here from the pulpit. I think I probably feel more love for my wife and children than I feel for the Lord Jesus, who I've never seen, never heard, never met, except through his word, through his body and blood. That doesn't mean that I don't love the Lord Jesus. It just means that maybe my feelings are feelings, our subjective sense of how much do we love God versus other things in our life. It's not the best, you know, barometer, not the best instrument to measure that. There's a bit of Thomas in all of us. Unless I see and feel Jesus, I will never believe. Or unless I see and feel Jesus, my belief will never be what it could be. What does Jesus say to that? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. 2,000 years ago, in that upper room, with the apostles, the apostolic band. Did we sing about them? Hymn 941. Let's see. The point I'm, I'm trying to make here is that, yeah, the band of the apostles in glory sing your praise. The fellowship of the prophets, their deathless voices raise. The martyrs of your kingdom, a great and noble throng, sing with the holy church throughout all the world this song. The apostles, they're the first ones listed. The church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. And what does Jesus say to those apostles in that upper room? He says, there are people who are going to gather in a church, in a place they're going to call God's country 2,000 years from now, who are more blessed than you are because they're going to believe in me without ever having seen me. He's talking about you. You and your faith are blessed in a way that the apostles' faith was not. Don't take that lightly. Don't, don't brush that off. Let that land on you. Think about that this week. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. He bragged about you to the apostles. Thomas, you, you, you believe now because you've seen me? Those kids are going to believe in me without ever having seen me, Thomas. And same goes to the rest of you, too. It's not just Thomas. Your brothers and sisters at the Mulkey Church are blessed because they're going to believe in me without ever meeting me. That belief in Jesus, though it often feels weak to us, Peter says in this text, is actually the mighty power of God guarding us for our salvation to be finally and fully revealed. This is kind of a... I'm going to have to say that again. This faith of ours that feels weak. And sometimes we're anxious because it feels weak, because we feel like that means that our faith is weak. Peter says, 
And this is right on the back of your bulletin. If you want to look at this, this is verse five in first Peter chapter one. You are by, by God's power. You're being guarded through what? Faith. You're being guarded through faith. The faith that God has given to you, which you would never have unless God gave it to you. There's nothing to that faith that you can add. God doesn't give you 80% of it and then ask you for the remaining 20%. God doesn't, uh, what's it called? Go Dutch. He doesn't say, okay, I'll do half. You go half. Let's split the bill. God does it all. That faith that you have is the mighty power of the creator of the universe guarding you until your salvation is finally revealed on the last day. It's so much more than this thing that day to day feels like we could be doing better. I could be praying more. I could be reading the Bible more, whatever it might be for you. Recall also how your salvation was won. The son of God was beaten beyond recognition, nailed to a cross until he died. The resurrection affirms that the weakness and foolishness of the cross is in fact the power and wisdom of God to save the world, to save the universe. So don't be discouraged when your faith seems weak and only based on the preaching of the gospel instead of being an eyewitness to the resurrected Lord. The power of God is at work in your life in a way that it wasn't for Thomas or the rest of the apostles or the rest of the dozens, I think a hundred, a couple hundred people who saw Jesus before he ascended. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Let's put this all together now as we close. God caused you and me to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus means something inside of you, not just out there. It's not just a thing we come to church to celebrate and then when we leave church, it, it stays here. God caused something to happen to you before you were ever born, thousands of years before you were born, through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And the inheritance that now awaits us is glorious and will not fade away or rot while it waits for us to get there. And in the meantime, God powerfully sustains our faith so that the downs in the ups and downs of this life don't pull us away from that faith. The Holy Spirit continually fans the flame of joy in our hearts deeper than words can describe. He says, you rejoice. You believe in him, even though you do not now see him, you believe and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. When I read that, I don't know about you, that's almost, that hits me as like a relief. Peter doesn't say you rejoice with a joy that comes out this particular way. He just says it's inexpressible and filled with glory. You don't have to be able to Talk about it, articulate it in order for it to be yours. You rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory while we wait for our Lord to return. All because Jesus has saved us. And doesn't that bring a lightness and a joy? There's good news for forever. There is good news, the promise of preservation for today. That trials and, and the things that grieve us will not utter, utterly destroy us. 
or somehow undo the work that Jesus has done. There is permission, and more than permission, assurance that the faith that we have that feels weak, it doesn't mean that that faith isn't real. The faith that we have is the power of God given to us to guard us from losing that salvation. Can we get an amen to that? Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you. (laughs) Jesus was resurrected from the dead. You're going to hear me say that a lot this season. The Feast of Easter is like all these days long. As long as we're in the season of Easter, it is the Feast of Easter. Jesus is risen from the dead, and God uses that to give you a living hope. And it's all yours through simply believing and loving him. And through this proclamation, Jesus is here among us. We can't see him. We can't touch him. But everywhere where his disciples gather, not in a locked room today, he is among us. And what does he say? Peace. Peace be with you. Now may the God of peace who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, and ratified an eternal covenant with his blood, may he equip you with all you need for doing his will. May he produce in you through the power of Jesus Christ every good thing that is pleasing to him. All glory to him forever and ever. Amen.